Today we're continuing our series of sermons entitled, If You Love Me, taken from John 14, where Jesus said, If you love me, you will obey my commands. And so this sermon series is looking at what was it that Jesus commanded us? What does it mean to be obedient to Jesus? What is it that he tells us we must do? So I begin today by reading a passage from the Gospel of Luke. This time we've left John 14. This is from the 6th chapter of Luke, beginning with verse 27. If you'd like to follow along in the red Bibles that are in the chair racks in front of you, this begins on page 1570. Luke 6, beginning with verse 27. Hear now this, which is the word of the Lord. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek... Turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those to whom you, uh, from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful." Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? May God add his blessing to this reading of his word. The beginning of this passage that I just read from uh, the sixth chapter of Luke is very difficult. These are very tough words. These are some of the most difficult of what are called the hard sayings of Jesus. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Turn the other cheek. Well, I'm not going to talk about those verses today. I read those because they give us a context for what we are going to talk about. At some point in the future, I will talk about these very hard sayings. But these verses, the extreme nature of those verses, set the stage for the later verses, which you see reflected here, that I do want us to focus on. And these verses are about generosity. Now, I'm not talking about generosity with your money. I'm sure some of you thought I was going to say that. Although generosity with money may be one of the outcoming, one of the outflows of this discussion, but what I want to talk about today is generosity of spirit, which means a willingness, at the very least, to be welcoming to people who may not be like you, or who don't do what you expect them to do, or that you would do yourself. Generosity of spirit. Don't judge, don't condemn, forgive. And give. And as you treat others in those ways, God will treat you in those ways. 
There is a reciprocity that, that is very clear here, very similar to the Lord's Prayer. If you were here for the sermon series I did on the Lord's Prayer, one of the most dangerous parts of the Lord's Prayer is when we pray together, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. If we do not forgive others, the Lord's Prayer, we are praying condemnation on ourselves. Similarly, if we do not forgive, we are told God will not forgive us. If we do not, if we condemn, God may condemn us. If we do not give, then how can we expect God to give to us? Whether or not we are obedient to this, whether or not we have a generous spirit in this regard, has a huge impact on our spiritual well-being. And it also has a huge impact on others who witness our acts, who see how we act, especially in church. We all, as Christians, have to ask ourselves, based upon Jesus' command to us, do I have a generous spirit with regard to not condemning, with regard to not judging, to forgiving, to giving? Here at Lakeside Presbyterian Church, I am always overwhelmed by the level of generosity of the people here. People give their time and their talents. They bake cookies. They bring clothing and food for our pantry. They donate to help build our church and move us forward. The people here are welcoming. They are greeting and smiling and hugging and complimenting. Those are the signs of generous spirits. And I've had any number of people in our church say the reason they have come here is because other churches they have attended here or elsewhere, they walk in and barely anyone even says hello to them. Here, I believe our people have a generous spirit, at least usually. I would love to be able to say always just positive things, but the fact is that sometimes we have to recognize the negative in order to make sure that we are staying on the right track. It is not always the case, at least in not all people, that we here have had a generous spirit. Often, we have seen a lack of generosity come when people are confronted by others who are not like them in ways that make us perhaps feel uncomfortable, when they do not fit what we believe are the social conventions that are common to our people, the people who are outliers, as they're sometimes called, who don't quite fit in. Our reaction to those people who don't quite seem to fit in because they're not like everybody else, that is when the generosity of our spirit really gets tested. A couple of examples of that. I used to work with Johnny Erickson Tata. People think her name is Joni, J-O-N-I. It's actually pronounced Johnny. She is in a wheelchair. She has been quadriplegic since she was 16 years old. And she has had a very effective ministry throughout her life, especially to disabled people. Well, Johnny, being quadriplegic, she's a super quad, which means she has slight movement in her arms and she could control a powered wheelchair. Well, I used to travel a lot with Johnny and her husband and a couple of assistants. Uh, frequently there were four of us. And when we were traveling together because of conferences and things like that, we would, when we'd go to a restaurant for lunch or dinner, almost invariably the hostess or host or maitre d' would say, oh, so we have three people in a wheelchair. And Johnny's assistant, Judy Brown, who used to be a sergeant in the British Army, gives you a little bit of a picture, very strong lady, a wonderful lady, that made her crazy. Three people and a wheelchair. She would say, no, we have four people and one of them happens to be in a wheelchair. Because people were not comfortable. It was not convenient. It was not easy for them to see 
Johnny as a real person sitting in that chair because they didn't know who she was. Well, we once went to the restaurant in Chicago called Ed DeBevick's. Have you all ever been to Ed DeBevick's? It's sort of a 60s, you know, burger place. A little upscale from that. We walked in, you know, and the, the waitresses are wearing poodle skirts and, you know, chewing gum and the whole thing, and they're always very gregarious, very... Well, we go in, we walk in there, Johnny rolls in there, she's in her wheelchair, and the hostess, who is also one of the waitresses, comes up to us, and instead of saying, oh, we have three people and a wheelchair, she looked at Johnny and said, man, that chair is hot spit! <laughs> what kind of speed can you get in the corners on that thing? And Johnny loved it. I, I will never forget the joy that we all felt. We talked about that that whole meal, and we talked about it many times later. This woman, this gum-chewing waitress, understood what it meant to have generosity of spirit with somebody who wasn't, didn't quite fit in, that they had to make special arrangements to find a table she could pull up to, etc. That was generosity of spirit. A story I've told before, and many of you have probably heard it elsewhere, is the story of a very conservative, wealthier church where everyone dresses to the nines, probably in Dallas. You know, you ever notice how people dress so well in Dallas? <laughs> and right before the service starts, a young man came in and he was barefoot. And he was sort of tattered jeans and, you know, and a little bit disheveled, a young man. And he's looking around and he doesn't see a convenient seat. So he walks down the middle aisle and he sits down right at the edge of the front row. And everybody's thinking, my goodness, what does he think he's doing? And according to the story, the head usher, who was an elderly man with a cane, he starts down the aisle and everybody sees him coming and go, oh, he's going to straighten him out. He's going to say, you can't sit there. You can't sit up front on the floor. And the elderly deacon with the, or usher rather with the cane, he walks up next to the young man and creaky and very difficult, he sits on the floor beside him. That's generosity of spirit. When I, a number of times, attended Hollywood Presbyterian Church when I was in seminary in Southern California, and every time I was there, I noticed that in the balcony, they had balconies along the side, in the balcony, about halfway up, every Sunday that I was there, there were two goth couples. Young people, you know, jet black hair, piercings, black lipstick, black clothing, and these two couples sat there in the same place each time I saw them with their Bibles open, listening to the Word of God, and reading Scripture. And I'm sure there were people who thought, why are those people here? We've had our own cases here of outliers, some more serious than others. We had one person in our congregation who had a serious problem with men who wore hats in church. I come from a, you know, my father was a sergeant in the army. I come from a very, fairly traditional background as well. And I take my hat off when I go inside. But that's just the social convention I am used to. And I recognize there is nothing morally right or wrong about that. And yet this person who was in our church, for weeks he would come up to me every Sunday and say, you must tell men they cannot wear hats in church. And I would say, no, I can't, I don't, I don't have to do that. He offered money if we would post a sign that said men must take their hats. I'm not kidding you. When I said, I'm not going to do that. In fact, I said, of the thousand things that I need to do in our church, that doesn't even come close to being on that list. He called me a coward for not addressing this issue. He said, I was not obedient to God's will. 
And I said, uh, I don't agree. We're not going to do that. We are not going to make an issue of that. He's no longer in our church. I didn't chase him off, but he got so frustrated with me, he decided not to come. We had another circumstance not too long ago where a friend of mine and a regular attender in our church showed up one day on a hot day wearing shorts. And someone, as that person was coming in, said to them, the pool's not open today, in a way that led that person to feel they weren't welcome. Now, if that person had not had been of less strong personality or had not been a regular attender, then, or if they had been a visitor, they would have turned and left and never come back. There was no generosity of spirit in that comment. If it was intended as a joke, it was not a very good joke. And I got a note about that later, and I had to speak to that person and say, the person who said that to you was not a greeter of our church, who was not in any official capacity at all. I would rather somebody be here wearing a hat or wearing shirts than not be here. Whether or not I find that the way I would do it does not matter. And people say, well, it's a matter of respect. You know what? You can't force somebody to show respect. And respect is different for different people. I believe there are, there are men who could come here and wear shorts or wear a hat and not mean it as disrespectful at all. And again, I would rather somebody be here wearing shorts or a man wearing a hat than not be here at all. And if there is any attitude other than that, I don't believe that attitude reflects the generosity of the Spirit of Jesus. I want to quote you from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. This morning we started our Sunday School for Adults at 8.30 where we're looking at Bonhoeffer's extraordinary book, The Cost of Discipleship. And in the introduction, Bonhoeffer writes this. In the last resort, what we want to know is not what would this or that man or this or that church have of us, but what Jesus Christ himself wants of us. The real trouble is that the pure word of Jesus has been overlaid with too much human ballast. Burdensome rules and regulations, false hopes and consolations, that it has become extremely difficult for people to make a genuine decision for Christ. So many people come to church with a genuine desire to hear what we have to say, yet you are always sending them back home with the uncomfortable feeling that we are making it too difficult for them to come to Jesus. Jesus invites all those that are labor, that labor and are heavy laden, and nothing could be so contrary to our best intentions and so fatal to our proclamation than to drive men away from him by forcing upon them man-made dogmas. When we see someone, especially in this church, who is not like us, then we should see that as a special opportunity to be welcoming and generous of spirit. And brothers and sisters, if anybody ever shows up in something obscene or really inappropriate, then I or one of the elders of the church will deal with it. Other than that, your job is to welcome them, not to tell them they're inappropriate. Okay? Sometimes you've got to be tough. And there's another kind of generosity, or unfortunately lack of generosity, which I'm sad to say we've seen even more often here at Lakeside Presbyterian Church. And that is a lack of generosity to those who, according to some people, apparently are not contributing enough. And again, I don't just mean financially. We have so many wonderful examples of people in our body who have generosity of spirit. And today of all days is when we celebrate that. That's what Second Sunday is all about. 
We don't have second Sunday just so that I can taste your lasagna. We have second Sunday so that we can share together generosity, that we can bring something to share with one another. That's why we do this. And it is most especially when we bring our food to share, the food that we have made ourselves or brought ourselves, we do it especially for those people who do not have the ability to contribute. Casseroles, pasta, salad, cakes, cookies, all of those are wonderful things. And they are brought by those of us who have the means to do so, to bring food to share with other people. And that's great. And that spirit of generosity is why we do this. We want people to say, that church, once a month they feed everybody that comes, no matter what. Especially people who have very little, including the people in our Spanish language congregation. Second Sunday is the time where after our English language service and before our Spanish language service, our two bodies, our two congregations, we're one body, our two congregations can come together. Guillermo Banuet, if you don't know Guillermo, he is one, he's a great servant of God and one of my best friends. Guillermo has told me that he doesn't know exactly why, but for some reason God has chosen to send particularly a number of very poor people to be part of our church in our Spanish language congregation. And by the way, we are not, you're not Lakeside Presbyterian Church, and then we have a Spanish language outreach. The Spanish language congregation is as much a part of our church as we are. Okay? We're always clear about that. But Guillermo has shared with me that a number of the people who come to the Spanish language congregation are quite poor. And I rejoice in our ability to be able to share our building. If you've never stuck around for their worship service, you need to do that sometime. They've got more energy than I had when I was at my very best. Okay. And it is a wonderful, joyous thing. Last week, Carolyn and I were here a bit later, and they had started their worship. And as we started to leave, I said, one of my greatest joys is that we, all of us, the two congregations, can be here and that they can worship in the way they do. The drums, everything else. But unfortunately, not everybody gets that. As much as I hate to, I have to say that there are some people in our English language congregation who do not have the spirit of generosity to our Mexican brothers and sisters that we ought to have. For example, two months ago, after our second Sunday, well, actually two months ago in our second Sunday, someone from our English language congregation went up to one of the Mexican families and told them that they should not be eating as much as they are because they had not contributed enough. That Mexican family went to Guillermo and apologized. And Guillermo came to our session right after that and tried to apologize. And I would not let him apologize. And in the conversation that followed, it came out, someone told us, in someone in the session told us that they knew some people who were upset because they saw a little girl, and I'm quoting here, taking food and putting it in a bag to take home from our second Sunday. And Victoria Smith, another great saint of God who was part of our, our staff and congregation, Victoria told us, no, the little girl was not taking food home because she does not have a home. And the food that she and her family ate that day are probably the only decent meal they're going to get this week. And someone told them that they should not be eating as much as they were. I was appalled. And I am still appalled. And I am angry about that. How dare anyone 
ever say to one of the Mexican members of our congregation that they should not be eating the food that we provide. That is an abomination, and it makes me ashamed. And if you are the one that said that, you should be ashamed. Or if you know the person who said that, you should take them aside quietly and tell them that they should be ashamed. Can you tell how strongly I feel about this? We've had a circumstance not not unlike that a couple of years ago in which one of the elders came to me and said that someone had complained that because we had laid out the fruit and the refreshments for not Second Sunday but just for after service uh, and that some of the Mexicans were coming early and they were going out there and they were getting all the big strawberries and taking the best seats and they should be stopped from doing that. That became the rather famous big strawberry sermon. Well, I didn't know who it was who had said that. But I completely trusted the elder who had told me that, because they are completely trustworthy. And so when I preached that sermon, I preached it without any idea who it was I was talking to, but that if anybody had those kind of feelings, they needed to recognize that does not show the generosity of spirit that we represent in our church or that Jesus tells us to have. Well, after that service, that person, and I had not known who it was, came up to me very angry and said, that's not what I said. And I said, I didn't even know it was you that said it. And if that's not what you said, then that's all right, because maybe God gave me that sermon because someone else in the congregation needed to hear that. Well, not because I wanted them to, but the big strawberries person left the church and has not been back. We have had other cases, cases where people have told the Spanish-language congregation, no, you can't eat those cookies because those cookies are for the English-language congregation. Anything in this church is for everyone in this church. And if you have something you don't want to share with the people who speak Spanish in our congregation, don't bring it. Anything that is here is as much the right of the Spanish language congregation or the rich or the poor or the blind or the lame or the weak or the Democrats or the Republicans as anything else we have. If for whatever reason you don't understand that, if your lack of generosity is so embedded that you can't see how wrong it is that we not be willing to share everything we have with all of our brothers and sisters, then I don't think you're going to be happy here. I'm not telling you to leave, but I don't think you're going to find this a place that you find satisfying. Big Strawberries didn't. No hats guy left. And I am not anxious to drive anyone away, but if you really think that the generosity of Jesus does not apply, then you're not going to get it as to what we are as a church. But my brothers and sisters, it doesn't have to be like that. We can, all of us can, be more generous. Jesus would not have commanded us to be more generous if it were not possible for us to be more generous. And if, you're, if you feel like you're not yet up to the really hard sayings of Jesus that I started out with, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, turn the other cheek and let them hit that one too. If you're not ready for those really hard sayings, then start smaller. Start by not judging. Start by not condemning. Start by forgiving and by giving. Start with little acts of generosity, especially for those who you don't understand or don't look like or don't agree with. Especially look for those people and welcome them. Welcome someone who is new, who looks uncomfortable. Say hello to someone who is not dressed the way you would dress. Offer someone a cookie. 
especially if you know that they did not have anything to bring and share themselves. Start small. You can do that. And if you do that, God will bless you. As you practice the spirit of generosity more, God will bless you more. Until, to your great surprise, one day you will find a good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over, poured into your lap. And won't that be something? Amen.